being the sole operator or one of two people, you just have to soak in so much more. All of your senses just have to be on point. So the three o'clock in the morning sleepy seeds aren't an option for you, uh, especially when it starts to get this time of year, when it starts to get icy out and that sort of stuff. Los Angeles, this is Code 3, the Firefighters Podcast, hosted by award-winning journalist Scott Orr. Code 3 features interviews with leading members of the fire service, discussing firefighting strategy, tactics, and other topics you need to know more about. Now, here's Scott. That's right, and I will not let Parkinson stop me. Thank you for joining me again on another edition of Code 3. This is the show that gives firefighters like you the information you need in about 20 minutes. Let's get started. If you're not a career firefighter in a major city, this is going to be a familiar topic. If you do work in a major city, get ready to hear something a little scary. Ladder companies at a lot of volunteer and small combination departments consist of two or fewer people. It's true, and given the declining number of fires we've been seeing, those operators may not have much experience setting up their apparatus in an actual fire. As always, training is the key, but it has to be worthwhile training. Here to talk about how to get solo truck operators up to speed is Ryan Johnson. He wrote an article on the topic, and it's linked in the show notes. Ryan is a 23-year career firefighter for the Waterville, Maine Fire Department. He started in the fire service as a volunteer in 1991, and to this day still volunteers in his hometown of Oakland, where he's a lieutenant. He's a charter member of the Managing Officer Program at the National Fire Academy, and owns Maniac Training, a fire service training company. And Ryan Johnston joins me now. Welcome to Code 3. Thank you for having me. Nowadays, I live in the land of four-man dedicated truck crews, but I spent the last decade in a small city where the three-man engine crew would take a truck instead if it was needed, and I thought that was understaffed. Now I hear from you that it's common for you to be a one-man crew. What's it like to be in that position? It's really tough, actually. That's kind of the reason that I wrote the article. There were a lot of classes going on in the area, and they were called short-handed or short-staffed classes. And when we started talking about this, they were talking about having three firefighters on a ladder company or four firefighters on a ladder company, and that was short-staffed to them. And where I'm from, you know, if we had four, we would be amazed. So being the sole operator or one of two people, you just have to soak in so much more. A lot of places have a riding assignment for each seat. Well, if you're the operator or the officer, your riding assignment is, you know, for four or five seats and you have to just pick and choose which thing you do. It's easy when there's a rescue to be made because that's what we would go do first. But when there's other things, you have to weigh that out, the pros and cons, and decide what you're going to do first. 
Are there more hazards to being a solo operator? Oh, absolutely. Especially as we're coming up into winter here in Maine, when the weather starts to get bad or icy, it just makes everything exacerbated that much more. So now you have to worry not only about other vehicles and pedestrians and things that are quote unquote in your way, you also have to worry about the ice now. Your stopping distance becomes greater. All of your senses just have to be on point. So the three o'clock in the morning sleepy seeds aren't an option for you, uh, especially when it starts to get this time of year, when it starts to get icy out and that sort of stuff. Now, I'm assuming that you're frequently going to get on scene before an IC does. So how do you determine what you're going to do first when you get there? Well, we have to listen to what the dispatch call is for. And that starts to dictate what we're going to do. Um, obviously, more times than not, when you show up, it's not really what you were dispatched for. So then you just have to let your training kick in and make that decision on what you're going to do, where you're going to set. What I like to think that we do is we look at where the fire is now, and then we kind of try to figure out where it's going to be in the next 15 to 20 minutes and set for that. When I was on a career department and we had a few more guys on the truck, uh, we could set for right now and make things happen relatively quickly. And we don't have that option where I'm at now. So we have to think ahead 15, 20, 30 minutes to get ahead of the fire. Have you ever been in a situation where being a solo operator or one of two guys led to a difficult situation to deal with? For me, it hasn't really happened. I can tell you about a, a call that happened a couple of years ago. Uh, it wasn't my shift. I ended up going to the call anyway, but they showed up and there were several people hanging out a window, a couple of people on a uh, secondary roof trying to escape from this fire. And they had to make decisions on who they were going to go to first because the ones on the roof were on the alpha side. The ones in the window were on the Charlie Delta side. So there was no way they were going to reach both with the aerial. And so I think they ended up doing ground ladders to the Charlie Delta side and then the aerial to the alpha side. But pulling up on scene like that, you have to make that decision and which one's in more peril and which one's going to be faster, your aerial or your ground ladder. And I think they chose right. They chose the ground ladder for the person in the window. And, you know, all four or five, four or five victims were all brought out, brought to the hospital and everybody survived. Initial training on those sorts of calls is the important thing, I would think. Absolutely. Nick Martin says it very well, as well as Nick Esposito, is is you fight how you train. And Nick says, pick the eighth house on the right-hand side on XYZ Street, and let's make a set there. And he doesn't even know what house that is. So it's a surprise to everybody. So we're trying to incorporate that in our training when we train our new people. Once they get their first couple of weeks on the tower, um, we try to do something like that and say, hey, let's go to um, Elm Street and pick the third house on the right and see what it looks like. And I think that that helps out tremendously because I'm thinking, all right, what's this going to bring? The new operator is also thinking, what's this going to bring? And we kind of work it out together. And And it works out pretty good because I don't know what house that is, you know? It's just like when you train in the parking lot. Yeah, it's great for the first day to get them used to setting up the outriggers or putting the stick in the air. But as a lot of fire chiefs have said, 
there are very few fires in an empty parking lot. <laughs> Absolutely. I know when I started in the Bangor Fire Department back in 1997, that was what we did. We pulled it out on the tarmac, and we'd go out behind the station and just set the truck up. And that's great for starting out, but you know you need to challenge yourself and to challenge your crew and, and get out there and, and do these things because you just don't know what you're going to. Sometimes you have the luxury of knowing the building that you're going to and um, you know the automatic fire alarms that you get all the time, and, and that's, that's fine, but we don't always have that luxury when it becomes the real deal. What do you recommend for routine training that's useful? I mean, what I like to recommend is is just go out into your district and start looking at buildings. It does a couple of different things. It touches on building construction, and that helps you kind of learn where the fire is, where the fire's going. And then getting your set for the apparatus, look in the town that you're in and see what's in the way. I remember when I was younger, I would go get off from shift, and I would drive through the city a little bit to see what the city looked like, see what some of these buildings were, and look at places where I was going to make a set maybe. You know, oh, does this street have, you know, an extra high curbing on it? Or is the house set back really far on these streets? I have some streets in the city that I work in now that you have a nice flat street. Then you have a bump up of about six to eight feet. And then you have a setback of probably 30 feet, maybe 40 feet. So now that two-story home is actually a three-story home because of that eight-foot bump up that it's sitting on. And you wouldn't know that unless you went out and looked. So getting out into the street and into the district that you work in is, is absolutely some of the best training that you can do. Do you believe there's a safety issue in having a solo operator on an apparatus like this? Yeah, I kind of do. I, I, I do, and we push it quite often. It, even if you have a seasoned operator, the, you know, the person that is, you know, he's, he or she is into the job, they're always training. Um, it doesn't matter. It could be that person. It could be the three-week out-of-the-academy firefighter. Things are going to happen. Things are going to go bad. I'm definitely not the safety police, but I do think that it's a safety issue. Anytime you can have more eyes on the objective is, is a good thing. And when you have less eyes on the objective, it really turns into an issue. How do the people in your volunteer department get trained for this? I mean, the initial training, who does that? Uh, it depends on who's there. Like, for me, I do a lot of the training myself. There's a couple of other guys that will do some of the training. And we all work someplace else full time. So we bring in that little bit of sauce, if you will, from other areas. And so we try to tag team it like that and give a vast range of stuff that these people can learn. We haven't had, unfortunately, a whole lot of people stepping up and coming in to the fire department to learn how to operate the aerial. You know, in the last three years, I would say I think we've trained two people. And that's not enough. So what does that mean to you guys and when, when you're already shorthanded? It's kind of discouraging, to be honest. And the guys that are driving the ladder truck that are trained now are also interior firefighters, and they want to fight fire. So to get them to say, hey, you need to drive this truck there and do the things that need to be done, unless they've been trained, they don't understand that, well, they can still fight fire. So we have to 
train them that, you know, we have to tell them, hey, you know, you can set the stick to the roof and go cut a vent hole. You know, you might have to abandon the truck and go do a search. But the mentality of a lot of people coming in is that if I'm driving that truck, I'm stuck with that truck. And so therefore, I don't want to drive that truck. So I think we have to change that culture a little bit. Now, hang on for a second. You just said you can set the stick and go cut a vent hole. Are you saying you, you raise the ladder yourself, you grab the saw, you climb the ladder, leave the truck, cut the vent hole, then get back on the ladder and come back down? Sometimes when, when we are extremely short-staffed, I've been to fires in this town that I'm volunteering in where you have three people show up with two trucks and that's just the way it goes sometimes. Wow. <laughs> yeah. I have a buddy who works in Harrisburg. He has a really good video that he put out last year. Uh, he was driving Tower One, and I actually use it in my shorthanded class. And he sets the tower, fills the bucket up with the tools that he needs, goes up, vents a couple windows, jumps to the roof, and starts cutting a hole in the roof. And he's all by himself. And that's in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, you know. They're... They do a lot of firework. Well, all right, let's talk for a moment about new operators. Do a lot of these single operators who are new yet are on their own already get in too much of a hurry? Yeah, it seems like they want to, like I said earlier, they want to just park the truck. They don't want to place it or they don't want to position it. They just want to park it and go do something else. They just want to get the truck there and then hope that, somebody more experienced will run the truck. They learn in short order that they're probably the only one there that's going to operate that truck, but they, they do tend to rush. And I think it's the lack of calls, you know, in our community here, um, we may have anywhere from six to 10 fires in a year. Whereas my full-time job, we triple that. Um, so not that that's a lot either, but I think that the newer operators are just in such a hurry to do other stuff. They, they, I don't know if it's lack of confidence or if it's just they want to do something that they enjoy more. <laughs> I, I don't know. <laughs> How do you get them out of that mindset or do they learn that on their own? A good operator will learn that on their own in relatively short order. Uh, some of them you have to coax along the way and eventually they'll become good operators as well but they have to understand that that truck is their responsibility and the things that come along with that truck is also their responsibility and if that means going in and doing a search then great that's what they're going to do but it usually it means at least getting the aerial in the air into a position where it can be useful it sounds like the reality of firefighting is not what some people would like. Absolutely. We're seeing that a lot. Back when I was hired in, in the city of Bangor, we had a couple hundred applicants, maybe even a few more, for four jobs. And now that same department for eight jobs is getting 25 applicants. So not only are your applicant pools shallower or smaller, they don't have as much to pick from, and therefore, maybe they're not picking the right candidates. I don't know. I'm not in that position, but I know when they get to me uh, training them, it just I don't know if they're not all in, if this is just a job to them. Uh, for me, it's not just a job, and for a lot of us, it's not just a job. But for some, it's just another job for them, and 
that's kind of how they handle it, I guess. All right, Ryan Johnson, thank you for joining me on Code 3 today. Thank you for having me. I had a great time. NFPA guidelines aside, the realities of firefighting today mean that sometimes your truck company is just one person. And while that may not be ideal or even the safest way to do things, some departments are just stuck with it. What training tips do you have for solo truck operators? You can leave your comments on our website at code3podcast.com slash solo. There's links to more info there as well, so check it out. And if you're willing to help me out, you can do that. Just tell another firefighter about this podcast. It'll help me out because word of mouth is the best way to get more people listening. So spread the word. Thanks. All right, that's it. That's all for this edition of Code 3. Thank you for listening. I'll be back next time with more, and I hope you'll join me. I'm Scott Orr, and until then, stay safe. To contact us, get more information on today's show, or to subscribe to the podcast, go to Code3Podcast.com.